the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer, Captain. All real man. Love is, is Love. too weak a word. Stay back. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as you said. Don't lie! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. It's time! Hello, everybody. This here is the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia. And this week, myself and Michael are rejoined by Will. Yes. Yes, everybody clap. Applause. Absolutely. Will, how's it going? It's great and good to be back. Absolutely. Absolutely. Michael, you're with us? Yes. Very good. We got the original trio here, ladies and gentlemen. It feels fantastic, as per usual. Uh, We have a lot of news this week. I I thought we had very little news last week, Michael, but we still ended up doing an hour-long show. This week, we have even more, which is nuts. We also have a couple of fan questions that we're going to be answering as well. Um, Let's start it off uh, with just a little bit of a, you know casual icebreaker to just get the conversation rolling here guys did anybody see anything very interesting within the last week either at home or in the movies in general i saw jackie at the philadelphia film festival earlier this week which i had been looking forward to for a while ah so you and i now have seen jackie and will has not yes yes, yes continue to rub it in mm. and michael where do you stand on jackie so I think it's a very well-made film. It's uh, very well-directed. The costumes are great. The production design, cinematography, that's all fantastic. And uh, I found myself liking it more than loving it. I wasn't really able to connect for a long time. But I think it was the last 20 minutes of the film that really made me appreciate it more. I'd like to go see it again because it's not the film I was expecting. And knowing what it is now, I may be able to appreciate it a little better another time around. Yeah, it is definitely a cold film for sure, and it's gotten kind of a, I won't say divided response from people, because I think the reviews are definitely skewing more positive than anything, but it's certainly a film that people, you're you're right, they are kept at kind of like an arm's distance from it. I think the film is absolutely beautiful. I think it's haunting. I think it's very melancholy, and I think that's the reason why I, like for me personally, I think that's why I... Um, had a little bit of a struggle with it. I I felt completely depressed while watching it. Yeah, it's not a light movie at all, and I really appreciate the risks that it takes throughout. I just felt like it dragged on a little bit in some sections, and I just uh, exceeded my expectations, not in a good or a bad way, but just in an unexpected way. Well, where does that land for you in terms of Oscar predictions? Honestly, I only see it getting Natalie Portman and maybe a couple of tech awards. I really don't think this is something that would go over with voters as a best picture player but i mean we'll see that's just seeing it the first time and seeing how it played in the room i just can't see it getting in a best picture lineup with these other contenders but don't get me wrong it's a very good movie i'd recommend it and give it a b plus well we'll definitely have a time for all three of us to talk about it here on the show for sure i myself have it currently for picture director screenplay i I think this is a bona fide awards contender will you'll have to make up your mind in december when it gets released so sorry buddy (laughs) 
Um, what about you, Will? Catch up on anything this week? I did watch that short, finally, from the two Pixar animators called Borrowed Time, which is fantastic. Oh, yeah, I really liked it. Yeah, it goes in a very dark direction. Yeah, no, I and I really like that because it's got the cute animation style of a Pixar short, but it is, it's heavy. I don't think it'll end up winning animated short. I mean, we haven't seen a lot of the competition yet, but when choosing between what will be three Pixar shorts, essentially, I think Academy voters will tend to skew for the upbeat one, as they always do in this category and in Doc and categories like that. The one that makes them happy, so I suspect a Piper from Finding Dory with its photorealistic animation and cutesy storyline and baby birds is more likely to win than a story about death and grief like this. But it would be a very inspired choice if this does win. You said three. It was Borrowed Time, Piper, and what's the other one? Whatever is with, um, I guess Moana's not Pixar, so it might have a show in front of it. I guess it would just be those two. Yeah, well, I know Disney Animation does do some. They had uh, Get a Horse in front of Frozen a few years ago, and Feast played before Big Hero 6. Yeah, so I mean, like, it, it depends. I think there's a decent chance that'll have its own uh, short. But between at least the two Pixar ones, I think Piper is the one voters are more likely to be drawn towards. Yeah, well, Piper's stunning. Agreed. I really much enjoyed Piper, and I was blown away when I realized for a second, I'm like, oh my god, this is this is animation, you guys. I was like, what? So photorealistic and so incredible to observe and see. I just want to say, too, that so many people over the years have been wishing this for me. So strangers, you know, I go, I'm walking in the street, people say something to me, I go in a doctor's office, I go in a whatever. Elevators, people saying, I wish you should win, you should win. I go for an x-ray, you should win one. Moving on to the current awards seasons race right now. Will, take us through the Gotham Awards uh, and the nominees that were released. So let's uh, round off here the list and let's see, uh, you know, what they pretty much deem to be some of the best of the year here. So the Gotham Awards for background are similar to the Independent Spirit Awards, but there isn't nearly as large a voting body. And bear in mind, although they are the first award nominations of the season to be dropped every year, they are only somewhat of a predictor because there is very little, if any, overlap with the Academy. And there's also all kinds of rules that can disqualify various films. So bear that in mind as I tell you these. Uh, the nominees for Best Feature are Kelly Reithart's Certain Women, Richard Linklater's Everybody Wants Some, Manchester by the Sea, Moonlight, and Patterson. Uh, it's a very interesting list there because, I don't know, to me it just seems like Patterson is like, like the one film that feels kind of oddly placed to me. Well, and uh, let, let's not forget also... Both Jackie and La La Land were eligible, and neither showed up here, which is odd. I was listening to uh, Ann Thompson and Eric Cohn's podcast this morning, the IndieWire podcast, when they were talking about these nominees, and uh, they were saying how something like Patterson might be more in the wheelhouse for them, and La La Land, even though it is considered to be an independent film and is eligible, for this type of uh, voting body, that might be might as well be a Marvel movie. Like, it's very commercial, even though it is technically independent. And what's odd is every year it seems like 
at least recently, the big indie breakout of the year ends up missing out with these guys. Yeah, that was Room last year, right? Well, not just Room. Beasts of Southern Wild and Whiplash in recent years as well missed out on feature nominations when they were eligible. So I, I, it's almost a mark of uh, likelihood to get in to not be nominated by these guys, it seems like. So, but moving on, best documentary, Camera Person by Kirsten Johnson, I Am Not Your Negro, OJ Made in America, Tower and Wiener. Any thoughts on those? OJ Made in America, I would say. Yeah, oh, definitely. Uh, yeah, anything... I've seen OJ and Wiener, and they're both spectacular documentaries, so. Anything you're surprised missed? Um, nah, Gleason, was that eligible? Gleason was eligible, yeah. Yeah, I guess I would say that. Oh, speaking of which, I heard they actually added new text to the end of Wiener to tie it into the more current events uh, that have been going on with him. Oh, I didn't hear that. Yeah, which gives the film a whole kind of a different spin at the end and leaves you feeling a much different way as you walk out of the theater because they uh, talk about the split up between him and Uma. That's still one of the three best movies I've seen this year. I enjoyed the hell out of that movie. I still haven't gotten a chance to finish it. I was interrupted the first time, but what I saw is hilarious. It's so uncomfortable. Yeah, and it's it, it's gone beyond the realm of funny now into just dark. And particularly when I saw what he was putting Uma through, it's horrifying. I, Uma was standing about two feet away from me over the summer when I was at the DNC. Oh, that's awesome. And she was wearing the same dress that she wears in the movie. Poor Uma. All right, so moving on, we have the Director Award. They only nominate quote-unquote breakthrough directors at the Gotham Awards, so you're not going to see a Damien Chazelle. He wouldn't be eligible. Robert Eggers for The Witch, Anna Rolls-Homer for The Fitz, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinart for Swiss Army Man, Trey Edward Schultz for Krisha, and Richard, Ch- Richard Tan for Southside With You. Robert Eggers. Uh, either They might go for the two for Swiss Army Man, too, though. I mean, I hope Eggers wins, but Swiss Army Man is a hot commodity right now. It's probably going to be Robert Eggers for The Witch. But even though I haven't seen the film, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Anna Rose Holmer won for The Fits. Because I know a lot of people really loved that movie when it came out mm. this summer. I'd actually forgotten it existed, but that could. I just suspect the high-profile nature of Swiss Army Man and The Witch is going to end up... And also the genuinely flashy direction on display in both of those. Speaking of Swiss Army Man for a second, I want to just congratulate Shane uh, on Twitter as at film actually. He ended up winning the Swiss Army Man digital uh, HD code giveaway through Next Best Picture. So I just wanted to give him a shout out. He is a contributor to one of my favorite uh, awards websites, awardscircuit.com. So for all you that are listening right now, uh, give Shane a follow on Twitter at film actually. Moving on, continue, Will. <laughs> for, uh, yeah, thank, nice plug. For screenplay, well, they don't do original adapted. It's one category. We have Hell or High Water, Love and Friendship, Manchester by the Sea, Moonlight, and Patterson. We're going to see Moonlight, Manchester by the Sea duke it out all season long because I just discovered the other day that even though the film is based on a play, that play never got put into production um, and performed beforehand. So it's technically considered original and not adapted. So I actually have to rework my predictions now based upon that. But I still 
regardless. I've seen both. I give the edge to Manchester by the sea. Oh, that's going to be interesting. I think three of them are locked for uh, nominations. Manchester, Moonlight, and Hell or High Water. Yeah, I'm starting to feel much, much more confident on Hell or High Water as the season goes on. I don't think it's locked. And uh, this gives Love and Friendship a boost also. Yeah, that, that's a solid That's a solid film as far as its uh, writing goes. I, I don't know if it's going to be remembered come um, come nominations time, but I, it, it potentially could be for sure. As I say, Amazon's going to have to campaign their butt off for that film. And I, I think if they get in anywhere, it's going to be at the Globes with Kate Beckinsale, for example. Yeah, if Best Actress weren't so crowded this year, I think in a weaker year she could have made it in. Oh, in a weaker year, absolutely. But it is the... That's that's not really an Oscar-friendly role just because it is comedic, and this is the strongest year for that category this decade. So I don't I don't think Hell or High Water is a lock for screenplay nomination. I mean, just because it is still not an entirely friendly genre to the Academy, but it's definitely gaining traction. Put it this way, I think it has a better shot of getting in than The Lobster does in this category. Oh, I def I agree. Uh ah man. I don't know. They original screenplay tends to honor those weird out there kind of it, there's usually one nominee a year. There's one that's like considered the quote unquote cool nominee. Well, I should say I do have both of them in my lineup actually at the moment. Okay. Okay. So we'll see where it goes from there, but it's definitely bodes well for that film. All right, so moving on for best actor. We have Casey Affleck in Manchester by the Sea, who I assume will win this easily. We have Jeff Bridges in Hell or Highwater, which is interesting because everybody else has him in supporting. Um, I see the argument for him being lead. He's got a character arc and he has his own storyline separate from the others. But I, I think this is pretty much the last time we'll see him in this category this season. Well, don't, didn't you say they split it? Well, no, no, no. I think that for Best Actor, they they don't put supporting actors in Best Actor. Yeah, they, they literally oh, just okay. do a lead confused. actor and actress category, I believe. Okay, yeah. I thought it was just Best Actor overall. This is essentially in, in what we would call category fraud if we were judging the Gothams harshly. <laughs> All right, I see. So uh, Bridges, Adam Driver, and Patterson... Joel Edgerton in Loving, and Craig Robinson and Morris from America. That's an inspired choice. I'm glad that that has not been forgotten. Oh, absolutely. And then uh, actress, we have Kate Beckinsale, once again in Love and Friendship. Annette Benning in 20th Century Women. Isabel Huppert in, or Huppert in Elle. <laughs> Ruth Nega in Loving. And Natalie Portman in Jackie. Obviously, they didn't like that film. Mike, because this is the only place it showed up. It's still a stacked category, though. Who do we think takes it? Natalie Portman? Like, I, 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 like, I don't know who I think was... I don't know who I think is going to win that. I don't think Isabel Huppert wins, even though she's beloved. And it could be Annette Benning, maybe. That, I mean, that sounds like a very Gotham-friendly movie, 20th Century Woman. Yes. Well, they gave it to uh, Diary of a Teenage Girl's Belle Pally last year. Well, that's an inspired choice. I mean, or I mean, honestly, I think Jack uh, Portman will do extremely well this season. They could just end up giving it to her too. She's going to definitely be a critical uh, juggernaut uh, throughout the circuit. That's for sure, in my opinion. So I guess uh, the final category is breakthrough actor, and that's Lily Gladstone and certain women, Lucas Hedges and Manchester by the Sea, 
Royalty Hightower in The Fits, Sasha Lane in American Honey, and Anya Taylor-Joy in The Witch. I would love if Anya Taylor-Joy won for The Witch because she's she so becoming good. the new horror queen right now with that Morgan split and her work and uh, at least in Morgan and in The Witch. I, I'm, I'm definitely a fan of hers right she, now. Oh, she is in my personal, not my predictions, but my personal best actress lineup right now for The Witch. She was so good. But do we think Lucas Hedges takes it? I I think this is the, the award where it, I I have I have a strong feeling. Um, what's her name from American Honey? Sasha Lane. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, Sasha Lane. Yeah. I was looking at Royalty Hightower. Well, what's your thinking on that? Well, again, uh, you know the film was really beloved when it opened this summer, and she was just getting praised left and right. And what a name, also Royalty Hightower. That's like <laughs> that makes a statement. They just mark it off on the page, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, come on, how do you not? Ah, <laughs> uh, that's funny. No, but realistically, I think if we're looking at a a predicted winner at the moment, I would probably go with the safe choice in Lucas Hedges, who also has Oscar buzz surrounding his performance. Yeah, and he does. He's still in my supporting actor lineup. You know, he was in Moonrise Kingdom. Yes, really. Yes, he played uh, one of the scouts who was after Sam. Oh wow! He was involved in an incident with a dog. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is it other than the TV ones, and we don't need to go into those. So, yeah, that is it for the Gotham Awards. Remember, take them with a grain of salt. They're not the best predictors, nor do they want to be predictors. They're their own awards. and But it's still nice. Award season has officially started. Um, also, something you should know about me to any of our listeners, I pride myself every year in having the single most accurate running tally of award season dates that you will find anywhere on the internet. Uh, I am almost done with the first draft of that. I have pretty much all the regional critics awards and I update it throughout the season. You know, some people don't care about small groups like North Texas and Central Ohio, uh, Boston online film critics. I like to make sure that every group is acknowledged so I will have them all. So make sure to follow me on my Twitter because I will be constantly keeping you updated with dates whenever they are announced. And it really does make a difference because those groups start, uh, or they put the gears in motion for someone like J.K. Simmons or Jared Leto. Like, they all start jumping on the bandwagon and that just continues. A general consensus starts to form. I do not believe Mad Max Fury Road would have gotten a Best Picture nomination or done anywhere near as well had, you know, it could have just been a fluke when the National Board Review gave it a Best Picture win, and in theory, had all these smaller groups not joined the bandwagon and started rewarding it, the Academy wouldn't, I feel like the Academy, who has a strong anti-sci-fi bias, felt obligated to nominate this film because everybody else did. Had that not happened, and had these smaller groups not done it, I don't think the film would have shown up beyond text. Well, let's talk about... uh for this year, uh, category placement and how certain films are going to be positioning themselves right now as a couple of FYC campaigns have started to launch already. Um, like we have this interesting one here for Hail Caesar where George Clooney is actually campaigning lead for that film alongside uh, Josh Brolin. Well, that's like last year we had Steve Carell and Christian Bale in lead at the Globes. Y- you know, but I, I think those were more arguable I think Brolin is lead in the film. It is an ensemble piece, but he's got a character arc. It's his story at the end of the day. Yeah, he is. I, Clooney is inexplicable for me. 
He, I mean, he has a few, he has independent scenes, but good Lord. I mean, he wouldn't get in, but if he did and was somehow nominated, I assume that would be up there with Anthony Hopkins and Silence of the Lambs for one of the shortest performances ever nominated in that category. He can't have more than 20, 25 minutes of screen time total. That is still my favorite movie of the year, Hail Caesar. And just looking at the Globes, I think it would be category fraud if Clooney did get in lead. That said, I would not be surprised at all if it ended up happening, because first of all, that is a very weak category, the comedy lead actor at the Globes. And second, he's George Clooney. Yeah, they, they love him particularly. You know, they gave him the whole, they gave him the Cecil B. DeMille Award recently, didn't they? I mean, yeah. they love Clooney too. No, I think this was literally exclusively done by Universal in order to get Hail Caesar some Golden Globe nominations. I don't even think they care about Oscar season or about the Oscars themselves. They just figure this is their shot at getting a Golden Globe nomination. Well, I will campaign my heart out for George Clooney and Josh Brolin to prevent Ryan Reynolds from getting anywhere near that nomination. Oh, and I guess while we're, uh, we're mentioning Ryan Reynolds, we ought to throw in that um, Ryan Reynolds is... Has some ego. Yes. Shocker. As I understand it, um, the director from the first Deadpool, who I might add was instrumental in getting the film made. I mean, some people would say the first one's success was all Ryan Reynolds and the writers, but it is widely believed he's probably the one who leaked the footage that got so popular and basically forced Fox to not bury the film. And he wanted Kyle Chandler to play the villain and he wanted, uh, this is what I heard, he wanted to make it a little darker and add a little more meat, whereas Ryan Reynolds wanted to replicate the exact same um, Van Wilder, almost crude tone, which was funny, but I, I see the, uh, the reasoning for trying to maybe evolve the film, the character, and the storyline a little bit. So Reynolds more or less asked him to leave and the studio backed Reynolds because he's the face of the film. It's, it's a shame. I thought he, they worked well together. I thought so too. Michael, I do not want to hear any more thoughts uh, from you on this uh, topic. I already know how you feel about Deadpool. Enough <laughs> My said. opinions are being silenced. Good. <laughs> <laughs> um, I got to ask you guys this question here and just in terms of um, positioning for the awards season. Does anybody know what Paramount's strategy is? Sort of. Because they've got like five dogs in this race right now. It's ridiculous. I've heard a rumor, so don't hold me to this. But what I'm hearing now is that Silence and Fences, their two latest releases this year, may be going the route that Selma took two years ago, where they don't really campaign for it. They have the backers do it. And I think Paramount is strictly just distributing the film. Where I think their main focuses right now are Florence Foster Jenkins, Allied, and uh, I'm blanking on the third. Arrival. Yes, Arrival. Which I think Arrival, at this point in the game, I think it really does need it if, if they are going to get into Best Picture, Best Director. Because I'll tell you, Billy Lynn and what happened with that film, as we talked about last week, there is now a huge spot for something to just plant itself within the race. And I think Arrival could be that film. I, I think Arrival could be a heavy contender, not for above-the-line wins, certainly, but I, I think it could from the reviews. Um, well, I don't think that's necessarily the best idea on Paramount's part overall, though, just because it didn't 
work well with Selma. I mean, at the end of the day, Selma did get a Best Picture nomination and it got and it won for song, but it it dramatically underperformed in awards season because they didn't heavily campaign it. But the other thing about Selma, as much as I love that film, is that I believe a lot of the screeners were uh, through Oprah's company who produced it. Well, and then you have the stars of Selma, and they're all outstanding. But you're not going to have someone like Martin Sheen going around, who's one of the bigger names in it, because he has, what, two scenes in the movie? Yeah. If that. David Oyelowo could have gone around, but he doesn't have the star wattage that someone like a Viola Davis or Denzel Washington would have in Fences, or Martin Scorsese would bring with Silence. So even if his films don't get the Paramount backing, I think they have enough from the people involved in it to sort of make it known. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, yeah. that's pro- I mean, you're right. I mean, Fences has a lot of big names, particularly. That's something people will put at the top of their pile. Yeah, and uh, Paramount is clearly funneling a lot of money it's looking like into the Hugh Grant campaign for Florence Foster Jenkins. You know, he got, he's getting the Hollywood film award for supporting actor, which as I understand it, a Hollywood film award is more or less purchased by the studio. Um, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're something, they're an early award, but it is often a sign if someone gets chosen from there that, the the film is going to be heavily campaigned. You know, the fact that Nicole Kidman is getting the Supporting Actress Prize suggests Harvey's really revving up the Lion campaign, too. So I think I think Paramount is going to throw, at least in for Florence Foster Jenkins, the majority of their weight behind Hugh Grant. And I do think he can get a nomination for it. I wonder if he's going to go lead at the Golden Globes. Uh, I think very likely. Yeah. That, that could really give him a boost. Uh, and maybe he could even win there. I know a lot of people were saying Ryan Gosling, but... That'd be, I mean, that would be interesting. I think uh, they'll probably have a fever for La La Land and give it everything, but that's a good point. I mean, and also, Hugh Grant is more of a lead in that film, arguably, than Meryl Streep is. I mean, it's flagrant fraud, category fraud putting him in supporting. So that'll uh, that'll be interesting. And it's such a good performance, too. It really is. I agree. I, I, I think that um, right now they're positioning him. If Neeson is not a thing, Hugh Grant could win the whole thing. Maybe, I guess. I, well, you, know, you I took want... Beatty out of uh, supporting. You put him in lead, Michael, so that's that's done. Yeah, I don't have him in that supporting lineup anymore, so it's sort of wide open. You know, I, I, I want to disagree, but I don't, other than Neeson, I don't know who viably... Sounds like they could sweep the season, I guess. There's no big name, but uh, you look at Hugh Grant, like we just said. Um, maybe Dev Patel for Lion, even. People are really, really raving him. Yeah, they really are. Uh, and who knows? I know we just talked about the film a few minutes ago and his Gotham nomination, but what if Jeff Bridges just swept in and took a, a second I don't, I don't think he's going to win a second one this soon. Yeah, if he hadn't won one already, I think it would be a done deal, but th- we're talking different times here. So, all right, let's move over into film award news right now. What do we have? 
Let's uh, start off with uh, Mr. Martin Scorsese, who's wasting no time on working on his next film for next year. Uh, the Irishman is finally going to start shooting in February. This is going to uh, reunite him with Robert De Niro for the first time since Cape Fear way back in the 90s. Um, as That was their last collaboration, I believe. I, I, right? Cape Fear or, or Casino? Yeah, it was, uh, it was, uh, no, uh, Casino, Maybe it was right? Casino. Was it Casino? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, all right, so Casino. Either way, it's been a very, very long time. 21 uh, Al, years. Al Pacino is involved. I've heard that Joe Pesci has dropped out, which upsets the ever-living crap out of me as I really wanted him to reunite with Scorsese, but something tells me that Marty could get him back in probably. Yeah, and if he doesn't, I think it'll still be a strong film. The script's reportedly awesome, you know. Who wrote it? So The, uh, the Irishman is written by Steve Zalen, okay. who is generally a very strong screenwriter, you know. Agreed. Schindler's List and... All the President's Men. Uh, no, All the King's Men, sorry, uh, withstanding. Okay, yeah, we'll, we'll pretend that one didn't happen. You know what, I will say I am looking forward to The Irishman quite a bit because it's Martin Scorsese and how do you not look forward to that? But what I really hope comes to fruition at some point is the rumored... Uh, Leonard Bernstein biopic. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to happen. It, it seems to me like there's always these uh, multitude of major projects that he's always working on. And remember when we overheard that DiCaprio was going to play Frank Sinatra for like the longest time? Yeah, well, that's still somewhere in the pipeline. I don't know if he's going to do it ultimately. But here's the thing with being in the pipeline. Scorsese has like 14 films in the pipeline he signs on to something every year in the bottom and he's line. He's what, 72, 73 now? Yeah, I suspect he only has max four more, maybe five, if we're generous, more movies in him. Y you know, I mean, he, he is in his. Scorsese says he's going to make movies until he's 150 years old. Who are you kidding? <laughs> and admittedly, if you saw Wolf of Wall Street, I mean, that man has the energy of a 25 year old. So there, there is something to say for that. But I don't – a lot of those rumored Scorsese films, I do remain hesitant as to whether or not they'll actually happen. Uh, speaking of DiCaprio though, um, he actually has joined um, – what is it called? True Vine? Yeah. Uh, it's called? True Vine. Uh, we don't know ex exactly – we don't know if he's acting in it yet. I, I hope he's not because it will be a little awkward. I'm a little afraid based upon the description here. Yeah, it is about two albino African-American brothers in the Jim Crow South who are stolen from their mother and sold into a circus freak show and uh, about the attempt to free them over the course of, I think, three decades or something. Um, so I am assuming DiCaprio will be involved in producing and ideally not starring, although I've heard people on Twitter indicate that he might. I think DiCaprio is a very progressive individual and probably knows it would be a horrendous idea to basically kind of put on blackface. So, Imagine if he uh, resumed his role as Monsieur Candy and oh, played like the ringleader God. <laughs> for the circus. He'll probably be in it in, on some level, though. Yeah. Well, I know he's looking to do uh, the Captain Planet movie that was announced this week. Yeah, he's yeah, he's producing Captain Planet, which is hilarious. That is amazing. Uh, he probably signed on to it thinking it was like a Save the Earth kind of a project, not realizing exactly what it was. <laughs> and then he's like got his name now attached to this. Well, and you, you can't have anybody other than Don Cheadle play Captain Planet, you know. 
if you're familiar with the long running um, Funny or Die series with him. Um, speaking of uh, DiCaprio, though, let's move over to his buddy Tom Hardy. Uh, he's actually supposed to be playing Ernest Shackleton in a biopic film, uh, scaling uh, Mount Everest. Is it? No, no, it's not Everest. Uh, Shackleton explored Antarctica, and it. I, I believe it'll be the first narrative film to actually film in Antarctica. So they're clearly doing the um, the Revenant route. Yeah, the Revenant route of uh, suffering in extreme cold to try to get an Oscar. Didn't I just see him doing that a year ago? In The Revenant? Yeah. Yeah, but he didn't win an Oscar for it. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think, you know, if it worked once, why won't it work again? Yeah, it's, if it uh, worked for Leo, why doesn't it work for me? I believe it's the screenwriter of Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy adapting it. Don't quote me on that, but I believe so. I'm, I, I just want, that reminds me, does anybody know what Thomas Alfredson is doing right now? Oh, yeah, that guy. I know. I think he had a follow-up, didn't he, to Tinker Tailor? Yeah, I believe he's attached to uh, another George Smiley film. Oh, wow. Tinker Tailor looks like was his last uh, big film. He is something, The Snowman? Yeah, he's, uh, he's with Michael Fassbender. You know those uh, Joe Nesbo um, Scandinavian crime thrillers that are so popular and translate all around the globe? In theory. Right, and that's next year. It's a universal title. Yeah, they're... Uh, it's from the middle of the series for some reason, but yeah, Fastbender's been attached to that for a while. Yeah, it's a uh, a dark Scandinavian noir, which will be mm. interesting. J.K. Simmons, Rebecca Ferguson, Charlotte Gainsbourg. Okay. Pretty solid cast all around. Um, speaking of uh, joining a cast here, Colin Firth joining Mary Poppins Returns. Michael, this sounds like it's up your wheelhouse here. Yes, he's joining the Mary Poppins sequel that's coming out. Uh, around Christmas 2018, and he will be playing the role made famous in a cameo by Dick Van Dyke in the original Mary Poppins of president of the Fidelity Fiduciary Bank. I don't think he'll be playing Mr. Dawes, because as we all know, Mr. Dawes dies at the end of Mary Poppins. Mm -hmm. But uh, if you've seen that movie, you know Dick Van Dyke just goes crazy in that role. He plays someone who looks like he's 110. He's buried under all this thick makeup. So knowing that it's Colin Firth and it's going to be set in the 1930s, it might be a little bit more conservative than what we saw in the original Mary Poppins. But it just adds another name to this great cast that we have so far. Emily Blunt, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, Meryl Streep, I can't wait for this, as Topsy Poppins, Mary's cousin. It's a pretty solid cast all around. It's just not a project that – and who's directing it again? Rob Marshall. Rob Marshall. Just not a project that interests me. I I must not have a soul – I was never a fan of Mary Poppins growing up. Never have been. Mary Poppins is one of my three favorite movies of all time. It's like, it has such a near and dear place in my heart. Somebody was a fan of Saving Mr. Banks. No, actually, I I wasn't a big fan of Saving Mr. Banks because I loved Mary Poppins so much. And I felt like the movie sort of unjustly attacked P.L. Travers. Hmm. To a certain extent, yeah. I, I see what you mean by that. Yeah, I really was not a fan of that movie, aside from Emma Thompson's performance. That was a miserable movie to sit through, too. I mean, like, I, I believe that her childhood was unremittingly bleak, but I, I, I would have enjoyed it if they had nixed the flashback storyline altogether and focused yeah. on the 
process of making that film because that is the way she was treated around disney because i love uh the scenes where they're singing the songs and all that and it's all light and cheery but then when it gets dark first of all it doesn't mesh and second of all that's not what you really want in this story and then you find out almost none of it really happened all right so moving on from that um i did not like that movie by the way yeah i hated jennifer lawrence joins ron howard's uh zelda fitzgerald biopic what do we think of Jennifer Lawrence teaming up with Ron Howard? I don't know if he's directing it. I know he's uh, producing it through Imagine, I think it is. But they haven't really announced that he's on board to direct at the moment. Let me ask you this question. If Jennifer Lawrence was more of a thing uh, during um, the, the time when it came out, do you think she could have played uh, Daisy in Great Gatsby, uh, the Baz Luhrmann version? Um, nah. I mean, she already kind of was a thing by 2013. Although I guess she was. Do you think was was she ever offered the role then? No. Well, remember, Great Gatsby was originally supposed to open in December 2012. 2012, Yeah. Right when uh, Silver Linings Playbook was hitting its peak, so they filmed it probably 2011 before Hunger Games or anything. Yeah, I guess they cast DiCaprio back in 2010 and Tobey Maguire in 2010 too. So I guess yeah, and Winner's Bone was 2010. Ten, yeah. So yeah. I guess she wouldn't have been as ho- much of a household name. You know, I, I don't know, but I'm glad they didn't. She would not have been the right fit for that part. And I, I didn't love that film, but I thought Carrie Mulligan was spot on as Sir Daisy Buchanan. Oh, I was a big fan of Joel Egerton's work in the film as Tom Buchanan. Yeah, bo- both of them, they were fantastic. I love DiCaprio in that, even though I'm not crazy about the movie. It's just Tobey Maguire that gets me about that. Oh, my God. That's yeah, I was not a fan of Tobey in that terrible. film. Uh, you know who I really did like in that? I like him in pretty much everything he's in. Who's that? Jason Clark. That guy needs to act in more roles. I dig everything that he's pretty much done in his career so far. Zero Dark Thirty, um, the... What with Dawn of the Planet of the Apes? Yeah, Everest. He was he was heartbreaking in Everest. Yep. I also liked uh, Elizabeth Debicki in uh, Great Gatsby, who we've seen a lot since then. I thought she was a breakout star in that, as uh, for sure. I really thought she was great in that. So it's funny when you mentioned Jennifer Lawrence. If she had been in that a couple years ago, I know it already did very well at the box office. But can you imagine how much money that would have made with DiCaprio and Lawrence starring? Oh, oh my Lord. god! I, I the can't. internet would have had a field day. It would have been Titanic Part Two or close Some, to here's, it. Here's somebody that could have also have played Great Gatsby, though. We could have also had uh, Chris Pine playing Great Gatsby. Also but glad that didn't happen. Bradley Cooper as Gatsby, Jennifer Lawrence as Daisy, directed by David O. Russell. I just vomited. Yeah, I really, I really hate that idea. With uh, Robert De Niro as Meyer Wolfshung. Oh, oh, god. Yes. I mean, he he could have done Meyer. He could have done Meyer Wolfsham. I I thought it was interesting having uh, Amitab. Um, ba- how do I pronounce his last name? Bakakan. Uh, Bakan, I think. Yeah, and actually brought in a lot of money in uh, Indian markets too, which is interesting. Yeah, well, you know what? I wouldn't put it past David O. Russell. You know, he just did a movie about a mop. So he every time he's now in the race i i think i'm just gonna groan now because it to me he just comes off like he so desperately wants an oscar that it infuriates me so because some of these movies are just like so all over the place but i really admire that about him yeah he just needs the right project to come along and eventually it'll be all right so uh we've talked about chris pine before 
And he's actually now uh, joining Ava DuVernay's upcoming film, A Wrinkle in Time, that is also uh, set to star Gugu. Uh, I can never get this one right. Gugu Mbatha Raw. Raw, thank you. Uh, I, I'm so bad with name to pr- uh, pronunciation, it's ridiculous. So, what do we think of that? It, the first thing I thought of was the Oscars uh, that year when Glory won the um, best original song and Chris Pine was visibly crying in the audience, clapping. It's a great song. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad he's attached. That's steadily accumulating a great cast. And also, um, DuVernay just announced that it's, I mean, it's accumulating overall a great team. The uh, sound mixer, Willie Burton, who is the most nominated African-American in Academy history, has like nine, ten nominations. He's won two Oscars. He's going to be in charge of sound mixing as well for that. So it's, it's a slowly accumulating both a fantastic cast and a great crew nice i mean th- I, I think that'll be a fun blockbuster have either of you read the book no years ago okay so do we know anything about the role that he'll be playing uh nope no i, I don't remember much about it okay well we'll look forward to that i'm sure we just talked about the 13th or i'm sorry now it's 13th last week still my favorite film of 2016 at this point we love ava duvernay uh and then the biggest news of the week Probably, or at least it was to the internet. Donald Glover has been cast as young Lando Calrissian in the young Han Solo spinoff film. What do we think of that decision? Oh, it's great. I mean, I'm I'm a big Donald Glover fan in general. I've I've I grew up watching Derek comedy videos back in the day, and so now that he's a uh, he's a breakout star, obviously everybody needs to revisit the video where uh, Donald Glover. Um, poops his pants in the middle of class just to remind everyone now that he's childish Gambino and he's a star in community and he's going to lead Han, uh, be a co-lead in the Han Solo film, remind everyone where Donald Glover came from. But yeah, I, I'm a big fan. This is an inspired choice. I dug his little bit in The Martian uh, that he had when he was like, uh, that scene where he was explaining um, the, the the science to like uh, Jeff Daniels' character. Oh, that was hilarious, yeah. Yeah, and he's also in a Spider-Man: Homecoming next year, so Get he's really getting here. his name around. Yeah, he has a small part in that. He was really fantastic for a few minutes in a Magic Mike Double XL last year. I didn't see the sequel. I only, I saw the first one, but yeah, I mean he's he's definitely a talent to watch out for for yeah, sure. Yeah, he's been getting his name out there in a lot of things. So good for him. Good for him, absolutely. And that project is starting to come together very nicely, in my opinion. Alden Alden Ehrenreich. Um, as the lead, you got uh, Donald Glover now. I, yeah, I'm definitely digging where this film is starting to go. We'll see. And isn't that being done by Lord and Miller? Yes, yes, it is, and they're fantastic. They've made every bad idea they've been attached to work. A 21 Jump Street film, I a sequel to 21 Jump Street, which was a bad idea in itself, and a Lego movie, and they all turned out great. So, uh, Lego Movie, I'm not crazy about, but they did make You it shut your whore mouth. Lego Movie is amazing. Lego Movies. I'll stop. <laughs> I'll hold myself. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, we, got some, uh, we have some fan questions, guys. Uh, we have uh, some questions from the Twitter. So, let's uh, throw this out to you guys. Let's see what your thoughts are on these. Um, now, this might be a little bit difficult, seeing as how I'm the only one that has seen it. But let's just go off at least your own perceptions right now. This one comes from uh, at Awards Connect. Uh, is there any category where Billy Lynn is still a contender? 
so obviously I haven't seen it. Um, from what I have heard, you know, I just ran a poll about is John Toll still going to at least get nominated despite the controversy and middling reviews. Uh, about 35 people responded and like 70% of them said no. So I'm going to probably remove him from my cinematography predictions. Um, I think from what I've heard, the sound mixing and sound editing, you know, it's a, it's a war film and it also has full mixed halftime music sequences. So in theory, it could get into the sounds and maybe Kristen Stewart, but I've removed it from everything else. I only have it in for sound at this point and that's it. As do I. Okay. So, another question here. I like this one. This one's going to be a little bit fun. Max Foster, 1984, asks us, who would you rather have, Tom Hanks at his best or Tom Cruise at his best? But let's let's take a look at this really quickly. So I think what he's asking is, you know, would you rather watch a movie where Tom Hanks is at his best or Tom Cruise is at his best? Now, we, we, we can you know, pretty much say, well, what does that look like, you know, at his best? Like, so let's just uh, ask really quickly, what do you think is Tom Hanks' best performance? I, I I think my ultimate favorite ended up still being Forrest Gump. Yeah, and I'm sticking with Philadelphia. And I'm sticking with Castaway. So bear in mind now, let's now compare that to Tom Cruise's best. So for me, Tom Cruise's best is Magnolia. Yes, what I was going to say too. I don't know what my favorite Tom Cruise is. Uh, I might go with Jerry Maguire. I love him in Jerry Maguire. I also love him in Tropic Thunder. Well, let's uh, put it side by side now. Philadelphia for you, Michael, versus uh, him and Jerry Maguire. Oh, Tom Hanks, no competition. Because, I mean, Tom Cruise is fine for me. But when you look at the, when we talked about the three best Tom Hanks performances a couple weeks ago, I think all of them top what I would even consider to be my favorite Tom Cruise performance. Mm, I'm not that, I'm not, I'm not that, uh, yeah, no. I'm also not a huge Tom Cruise fan, so that was a little easier for me, I think. Little biasness there, Michael. Little biasness. I would, uh, I would probably go with Hanks, although Tom Cruise in Magnolia is nothing short of revelatory. I mean, that, that film has so many performances in its ensemble who deserve nominations. He was he was heartbreaking in that, but yeah, I'm, I'm gonna still go with Hanks. I would go with Tom Hanks as well, although I do agree with you. Will I think Tom Cruise is incredible in Magnolia? What is it about him in Magnolia? Because I've never really gotten all the praise for that performance, even though I love the film. It was definitely that final scene with Jason Robards that did it for me. Yeah, and that that is the best of it, I think. But the amount of emotion, the anger, the uh, just the catharsis of that moment for me. It's got to be one of the most unbelievable. When you're watching like his his process and how he's just going from uh, one stage of the performance to the next stage of the performance until it's just full-blown sobbing and weeping all over the place, I, I, I just love, 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 love how he starts at the beginning and how he ends that scene. Absolutely love it. It's also, it, it is a very layered performance, you know? I mean, this is a guy who is the epitome of the word asshole and who you ultimately feel sympathy for the end. And I think that is, it's partially due to Anderson's writing, but that has to in large part 
be due to Tom Cruise's performance. He's someone who's very likable normally, and he makes you hate him. And by the end, you know, you're, uh, you, you're on board to f- f- ex- let him experience catharsis. I'm sorry, but he really should have an Oscar for that performance over Michael Caine, who already had one. So, And also, that was a pretty weak Michael Caine performance, too. If the, the accent is awful. Yeah. Um, I like this one. This comes from Film Guy 619 who writes in, who was one actor that you feel never phones in a performance? I'm going to say, you know, Magnificent Seven reminded me of this. Denzel Washington. It doesn't matter what he's in. Magnificent Seven is not a particularly good film, nor is it meant to be an acting showcase. And yet he acts in it like he's in some Oscar contender. You know, he brings his full brunt of acting power. And that's just a prime example. Even when he's in bad action films, he's still really good. I agree with that. I would say I would say either Michael Fassbender or uh, this is this is obviously one that came off the top of my head uh, instantly. Uh, I got to say Daniel Day-Lewis. Oh, you just stole my answer. <laughs> yeah, but he also, I mean, I, I was thinking more in terms of actors who are prolific and still always bring it. I mean, Lewis is never short of excellent, but he's also been in very few films, comparatively. I mean, he takes like five years between parts, so. Okay, so since you took my Daniel Day-Lewis, I was thinking about saying Meryl Streep, obviously, because she's my favorite, but then I do think of something like The Giver. Yeah, she phones it in sometimes, as good as she A is. A terrible, terrible movie, The Giver. So, I mean, yeah, there are times when you say absolutely never, I'd have to go with Daniel Day-Lewis, like I was going to say before. But, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there are a few others that I can't think of right now. Jack Nicholson may come to mind, although he does the occasional thing here and there. Jared Leto. Um, well, Leto isn't always good, but yeah. I guess you're, you're right. He doesn't phone it in. Yeah, he doesn't phone it in, but the result isn't always great yeah i mean he so yeah i'll say he is dedicated to every part he does i wish in the case of something like suicide squad maybe he were a little less dedicated i hear you and then final question here this one comes from joey merzer 83 is there a comedic performance that you feel can break through this year and by breakthrough i think he means get nominated yeah i do oh yeah i'm looking at uh the current crop of contenders we talked about Warren Beatty before, which may straddle a line between comedic and dramatic, but I'm still sticking with him. Uh, again, same goes with Meryl Streep, who also walks that line. Maybe Matthew McConaughey, once we learn more about gold. I mean, I don't, I don't think it'll get nominated, but Kate Beckinsale, you already mentioned, that's a comedic performance. Yeah, none of these are like flat-out comedies, but they definitely have elements to it that I think could get them a little further. I will say this. I have moved Matthew McConaughey into my best actor predictions. I took out Nate Parker and I put him in the number five slot. I, I've been rewatching the trailers to Gold and I can definitely sense that there is something going on with that performance that makes me believe that you also got to bear in mind, I think this is a weak year for best actor. Um, Ryan Gosling could still get in. I have him at number six right now, but Something just tells me that they're going to want to bring Matthew McConaughey back to the party again. Maybe. If the film's good enough. I mean, we already know Ryan Gosling's already going to be there to promote the film. So why wouldn't you just have McConaughey take up that fifth slot, you know? Yeah. 
I mean, I, I, I've got to learn more about the film. It's not doing the festival circuit, which isn't necessarily promising for it being a contender, particularly when Harvey's backing it. But it's, it's not. Stranger Things have certainly happened. I'll say that. Is it from the Weinstein Company or is it under their Dimension label? I'm not sure, but I know that when people were asking Harvey if his days as an Oscar campaigner were done, he disagreed and said that this year he thought both Lion and Gold could net the company um, seven to ten nominations. Yeah, a few things to consider there. And that pretty much does it for news and Oscar talk. We're going to now move into some trailer talk right now. Let's start off with uh, one of the biggest talked about teasers on the internet. This is going to be uh, a summer 2017 release. This is the sequel to Guardians of the Galaxy, known as Guardians of the Galaxy 2. There are two types of beings in the universe. Those who dance and those who do not. I get it, yes. I am a dancer, Gamora is not. You just need to find a woman who is pathetic. Like you. Thanks, buddy. Do you need a hug? No. No, I do not. Oh, I thought I said no. You're welcome. Uh, I guess the best question to ask in this situation here is, what's everybody's thoughts on the first Guardians of the Galaxy? I, I, I liked it. I, um, I think sometime around 2013, I want to say summer or twal- fall 2013, I hit my point of Marvel disillusionment, of comic book movie disillusionment in general. I think Man of Steel and Thor 2 were the ones that did it for me. So when I saw shortly after Guardians of the Galaxy, I was predisposed to be pretty uninterested in it. But I saw it twice. You know, the second time I kind of turned off my brain and my cynicism and my general distaste for Marvel. And I ended up enjoying it. It, it's, It's a fun film. I agree. It's nothing great, but it's fun. And I, I will say the makeup was spectacular in it. I'm a big fan of the tech side of films, and that had some of the best makeup of the decade. So, Michael? Yeah, you know, I don't like superhero stuff so much, but I didn't flat out hate Guardians of the Galaxy. I think Chris Pratt is fun in it, and I liked seeing him become a star after Parks and Rec, because I really loved him on that show as Andy. So, yeah, I mean, it's not a poorly made film. It's just not necessarily anything that appealed to me. I'm a big fan of James Gunn and pretty much everything he does. I like his brother, Sean, who's on Gilmore Girls and has a brief cameo in Guardians. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, Gunn, and Gunn always gets his, his usual actors in there, too. You know, Michael Rooker, who I guess we're talking about the trailer I like both in the poster and the trailer, it looks like Michael Rooker, who's wildly underrated, is going to be a lead in one of the Guardians now. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I, gen- I generally have always liked him and everything he's done. He's a good character actor. What I did like about Guardians of the Galaxy, I will say, is uh, aside from the playfulness, which was refreshing at the time, until Deadpool sort of beat that idea dead, is uh, the emotion that it had towards the end I thought was sweet. Yeah, you don't see that a whole lot. Yeah, yeah. When he's uh, remembering his mom, yeah, yeah. Def- it, it did have some meat to it. How it starts out. I mean, it's just sort of sits there for me. It's not anything I feel that strongly about. All right. Well, we'll have to see how this one plays out because I mean, it's directed, written by James Gunn again. Uh, the original cast is all 
uh, back on board. We've got um, pretty much who, who we got in this one. Glenn Close is going to be involved. Kurt Russell. Well, she was in the first one also. Oh, yeah, that's right. I, f- I forgot. You're right. John C. Riley was in the first. Is he in this one? I'm not seeing him uh, being listed here. I mean, he had a bit part anyway. Doesn't yeah. Sylvester Stallone have something to do in it? In this one? Yeah, I believe he does. Uh, I believe? Yeah, he's been cast as a Nova Corps member. That's probably basically just a cameo then, I would assume. Yeah. Pro- probably just wanted to be in it. Who's the villain this time, actor-wise? I think it's Kurt Russell. I think Kurt Russell is playing um, Pratt's dad, so I don't think he'd be the villain. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure who the villain is. All right, I'm sure people will like this. I'm sure it'll be fun. I don't know that I'll be getting around to it, but it'll make all the money without me. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, speaking of which, let's uh, let's stick with the superhero theme here. Let's uh, move over to uh, one of the next most talked about trailers that hit the web this week. This is the final Hugh Jackman uh, Wolverine film. This here is Logan. Logan, what did you do? Charles, the world is not the same as it was. Mutants. They're gone now. I hurt myself today To see if I still feel I focus on the pain The only thing that's real Beneath the She's like you. Of time. Very much like you. The feelings disappear. She needs our help. You are someone to come along. Someone has come along. I am still right here. And you could have it all. My empire. Michael, you may not have liked how the rated R Deadpool fared, but what do you think of their direction that they're going with the rated R Wolverine film, the final Wolverine movie with Hugh Jackman? Oh, sorry. You had to wake me up from watching that trailer. Get the hell out of here. Seriously? Come on. That, that's a good trailer. I'm, I didn't even go see the most recent X-Men because I'm, I'm generally done with superhero films, but this, this, I mean, this is a great trailer. You can't deny that. It's, is it? Yeah, I, I would uh, say I don't so. Think so. I mean, it it offers a very different, more intimate take on the superhero genre. I mean, it you could have Mel Gibson in there in some role instead. I mean, the world. I mean, it, it looks like Leon the Professional, but with superpowers, <laughs> is what I would say. And the John, the use of Johnny Cash is heavy-handed. As that song choices is perfect. I mean, it. it it's it's a hundred ten million dollar film compared to the two hundred million plus. It's the the screenwriter said there's no collapsing buildings and into the world stakes. I like that. It's it's a it's a character drama. Yeah, I mean that's good for 
the the genre to have a little bit of a change of pace, but uh, I just don't care enough about the character, the story, the director. You even mentioned the Johnny Cash song. I'm not even a Johnny Cash fan. It's like the whole thing just sort of sat there for me, and it's like, eh, okay, whatever, goodbye, goodbye, Logan. And if if they actually have the the cojones to kill off a major superhero, I will. They will have my respect for sure. That's been one of my biggest problems with superhero films is that there are no stakes and that no one ever stays dead. You know, if they Even actually if they kill him off, though, they're just going to reboot five years later and have someone else playing him. I think the they should retire the character altogether. It's never going to happen. Yeah, well, in theory, they introduced the girl. The girl who's in the film, in the comics, I believe, has replaced Wolverine. And so, in theory, she would be the new Wolverine, take up the mantle. Um, I think that's what they're going for here. And have a female replacement. I don't remember what her name is, but I think that's the idea. I watched the trailer and I kept thinking of a dying Jean Valjean from Les Miserables sitting with Anne Hathaway in the trailer. Oh yeah, he definitely had that look. So if he sings Bring Him Home, then maybe they'll get me to see it. Maybe. Oh, you're going to see it. Don't worry, because we're going to review nah, it on the show when the time comes. It, well, you can start looking for my replacement that week now. Fine. Done deal. <laughs> I can start looking for your for a replacement for you for all of the shows moving forward while Uh-oh. we're at it. Uh-oh. Yeah, I think, no, Will, I think we have to unionize here. <laughs> Go on strike? Yeah. Go on strike with my professors from last week. Oh, geez. I know. That's crazy, man. Absolutely yeah. nuts. For those of you who didn't know how my school went on strike last week, and we're back now. It's all good, but that's what we were just referring to. <laughs> all right, so we got one last trailer here. This is the new Gore Verbinski film from Visionary director Gore Verbinski, as the yeah, trailer Visionary. likes to say. Um, this is a cure for wellness. Are you ready, Mr. Lockhart? I dig the imagery here. I, I really do. I think Gore Verbinski has uh, some really interesting visuals going on in this. I'm not quite so sure what the film is about exactly, though. But I'm intrigued. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely eerie. I think Matt said earlier that it kind of looks like if American Horror Story Asylum was extended into a feature film. Um, I'm, I'm certainly intrigued, and I'm glad he is going in another direction from the endless Pirates of the Caribbean films and Lone Ranger. We forget this looks like a horror film and Gore Verbinski didn't start his career, but early on in his career, pre-studio blockbuster days, made a terrifying horror film in the form of The Ring. I mean, he does have a track record of being able to conjure some genuine dread in fear. So I, I don't know much about this. It wasn't on my radar at all until this trailer. Certainly not an awards contender, but I'm interested. I got into a huge fight with Sam Coffey on uh, Twitter recently about the idea of Gore Verbinski being labeled as a visionary director. He was arguing that he is. I was arguing that he's not. He's just a director that makes really good studio films. Um, what do you guys think of that uh, label for him? I wouldn't say he's ever done anything that deems him a visionary. 
I do think that the first Pirates of the Caribbean is one of the best studio films ever made, or the studio blockbusters, I should say. But um, no, I mean, it's kind of like when they called Zack Snyder visionary director to Zack Snyder. I think both can have a good handle on visuals. I don't think that alone makes you a visionary. Yeah, I don't know if he's a visionary. I know we talked a few weeks ago about my dislike of the Pirates franchise. But I do think he did some good work in Rango. I like that. Yeah, Rango was great. Yeah, I really loved Rango. As slow as most of the movie was, I will give credit to the last 30 minutes of The Lone Ranger, which I thought were actually ridiculously entertaining with the whole train sequence. Agreed. So, I mean, he has some good stuff. I don't know that I would call him a visionary director, let alone a great director by any stretch. Uh, as for this one, uh, I don't even know what that trailer was, to be perfectly honest. It was didn't make clear what the movie was. It was like a teaser for something, and put it this way, if it's trying to be marketing and sell me the movie, it did not sell me the movie. Well, it's got the February release date. Uh, I guess they're going the Shutter Island route with that, uh, which is not a surprise to me. We'll see if it can capture an audience or not. Um, I will say this, though. I particularly like uh dane uh what's his name dane dehan dane dehan yeah i i like his work so uh we'll see how he fares in this uh film jason isaacs is also involved too and i'm a big jason isaacs fan so hopefully fingers crossed we'll see Uh, That'll pretty much just about do it here for this week on the next Best Picture Podcast. But before we go, guys, any final thoughts that you guys want to share with anybody that we did not get a chance to cover? Nope. I think that's pretty much it for me. Yeah, I think we did it. Uh, Check out the Nicholas Brattel's Moonlight score, which is now available to stream and download. I've been jamming to that lately. Really haunting, beautiful stuff. Hope it works as well in the context of the film as it does just for me listening to. I can assure you it does. Excellent. Well, that's all I have this week. Oh, by the way, speaking of Moonlight, for any listeners out there wondering when they may be able to see it, I've heard that A24 is going wide with it on November 11th. Oh, exciting. Yes. Oh, that's fantastic. Just under three weeks. Very, very good. I'm very, very excited for the film. It's got one of the highest per theater averages of all time in its limited release uh, this weekend, so... I'm glad that the film is doing extremely well. It's finding an audience. The buzz is deafening. And I just I couldn't be more happier. The film is really incredible. I feel a lot better about it now than I did back at Telluride when even people were raving it there. I said, is this going to be something that goes over with the Academy? And now that we have these reviews and seeing it in the box office and the type of film that it is now that it's with the public, uh, it feels a lot more secure. Yeah, absolutely. Alrighty, Michael, so tell them where they can find you on Twitter. You can find me at MikeMovie. And Will? Find me at Mavericks Movies. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Guys, this has been Episode 8 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. Tune into NextBestPicture.com for all the latest reviews and other articles that are coming from myself, Will, and Michael. And we will see you all next time. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. 
We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.